Well, good morning, church family. So thankful to have the opportunity to be uh, together and so thankful to have an opportunity to witness a baptism together uh, to here during the 11 o'clock service. So we're in a series called The Church, and we've learned so far that really belonging to the church begins with baptism. Baptism is like the front door, and so we're so excited for Phil today and so thankful to have members of his family here to uh, support him. And uh, as we're continuing in our series on the church. We're going to be looking today at uh, deacons. Um, we are uh, last week and this week looking at leadership positions in the church. We hear a lot about you know, popes and apostles and archdeacons and deacons and bishops and how does all of that fit together and what does the Bible actually say? Well, in the New Testament for the local church, there really just are two official leadership positions. Sometimes they're called offices. The office, one of them has three titles, either elder, pastor, or overseer, and then the other is deacon. And so today we're going to be looking at a definition of deacons and then a case study where we see deacons in action or something like deacons in action, and then we're going to look at the qualifications and then some applications for our church. So in terms of a definition of what a deacon is, it's a little bit tricky. In, in part of following Jesus, part of studying the Bible means that in order for us to actually be effective in our Bible study, we need to know a little bit about language and how language works. When we're working between two languages, if, if you're trying to say a word in one language in another language, the most natural thing to do is try to replace that word with another word in the other language. But sometimes, we take the sound of a word. We just seem to, we might like how it sounds, and, and we, re, we recreate that, or re, we create a new word in the other language. So we were just singing, for instance, the song, Hallelujah, Amen. Hallelujah is not being translated, neither is Amen. Hallelujah means praise the Lord, but we say Hallelujah. We take, that's the Hebrew phrase, Hallelujah is how it sounds in Hebrew, so we recreate it in English. Amen is the same way. Amen means yes, so be it. So if you were to go to a, another church and, and, and participate in a worship service that was in a completely different language, you might not have a sweet clue what's going on, but there would be two words that you would recognize because those two words are most often transliterated rather than translated. So you don't understand anything and then you hear hallelujah and then, and then you're hi, I know that part. And then amen, I know that part. So the trick about understanding deacons is that the word deacon has been translated literated, not translated. So some of the other leadership positions in the church, look at this chart here. So apostle, that's a transliteration. The Greek word is apostolos. Pastor is a transliteration of the Latin word, a pastor, which is a translation of the Greek word poimen. Uh, overseers, episkopos. Remember, epi means over, skopos, like a scope, and overseer. That's a translation. Elder, presbyter, presbyteros, that, that's a translation. A presbyteros is an old guy like me. And diakonos is transliterated, deacon, but if you were to translate it, it would be servant. So here, here's, the, here's the tricky thing, and I'm just kind of laying the groundwork here, okay? This isn't like a grammar, uh, a linguistics lesson for 30 minutes, but I'm just laying the groundwork. Here's the tricky thing. In our English Bibles, 
the word deacon is transliterated three times, but it's used 18 other times. Seven of the times it's translated servant. Eleven times, sorry, eleven times it's translated servant, and seven times it's translated minister. So sometimes you have the word deacon, but it's not translated deacon. And, and, and that leads to this idea of, well, aren't we all deacons? Because the Bible says that we're all supposed to serve one another. But what we're going to find as we study the Bible, we're going to see that even though we are all called to be deacons, we're all called to serve one another, there is also this special and unique office of deacon. See, some of our favorite verses in the Bible have deacon in them already, like John 12, 26, where Jesus predicting His own resurrection and, and death and the implications for us, which we're going to see in baptism when someone goes under the water and comes out of the water. Jesus said, whoever loses his life and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, that's if anyone deacons me, he must follow him, and where I am, there will my servant or my deacon be also. If anyone serves me or deacons me, the Father will honor him. Jesus, as the disciples were, were competing with one another and trying to decide who was the greatest and who was the most important, Jesus said in Matthew 20, 26, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, must be your deacon. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 says that we, we got to equip the saints for the work of, we would say ministry, but that word is deacon, the work of deaconing. 1 Peter 4, 10, as each has received a gift, use it to deacon one another. So, even if you may not aspire to the office of being a deacon or don't even really understand how deacons fit into the whole leadership structure of a church, and hopefully you will understand that by the end of this message, but the important thing is that all of us are called to deacon. All of us are called to be servants, servants of Jesus and servants of one another. And so, with, with a definition in place, a deacon simply means servant, then we move on to the case study, the case study. So, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts, and uh, we're always springboarding out of Acts chapter 2, and Acts chapter 2 is where the first Christian sermon is ever being given, and the apostles who were these time-stamped leaders that had an expiry date on them. They were the ones who witnessed the resurrection, and they were putting that boulder in place on which the church was built, the rock that Jesus is the Christ. So, Peter preaches the very first Christian sermon ever of all time. He says that Jesus is the Christ. He talks about Jesus suffering and dying on the cross for our sin, being buried, and then being raised again. And then the people respond, and they say, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. To be, to, when people are baptized, they're saying, I believe in Jesus. I'm going under the water to identify with His death. I, I'm, I'm going into the water as a, as a cleansing from my sin. I'm coming out of the water in newness of life. That's how the church was started. And then in Acts 2.42, those people that were baptized, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And so here's this, the, the first church gatherings and the beauty of the community that they had and the generosity that they were experiencing. And then there were several attacks 
on the purity and the unity of this church. In, in chapter 3, leading into chapter 4, we have persecution from the, the Jewish religious leaders. And then into chapter 5, we have corruption and deception by Ananias and Sapphira. So there are attacks coming from the outside, persecution, attacks coming from the inside, people pretending to, to be generous but not being generous. And then we come to chapter 6, and there's this other attack. We see another area of vulnerability, and this is going to be our case study for today. Look at verse 1. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And, when they, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they set before the, they set, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient uh, to the faith. So, this is going to be our case study today. These seven people that were appointed with this task of serving tables. Now, it's really important for us to understand that the leaders, the, the church looked a little bit different at this point in time. The whole universal church and local church are together in one place. The apostles are giving direct oversight and leadership to this church. And so, the, it's, it, there aren't elders in leadership. We've got apostles in leadership, and we've got this group of seven. Now, this, not the group of seven like the artists, and, and I'm, anyway, I'm losing my train of thought. But anyway, this, this, we're going to call them the seven. The seven are not deacons, and the apostles are not elders. But at looking at this case study, we're going to be able to see how the seven support the apostles in the same way, and look at the next slide, the, the, the deacons, their role is to support the elders. The servants, the deacons, are supposed to help the leaders of the church accomplish the mission of the church. But they aren't called deacons, but I want to show you something. In verse, in verse 1, where it says, that the, the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. That word in Greek, distribution, is the word deaconing. They were being neglected in the daily deaconing. Then look at verse 2, where the apostle says, listen, we can't give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Guess what the word serve is in Greek? To deacon tables. And then in, in verse 4, when the disciples say, we will we, sorry, the apostles say, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word, that's the deaconing of the Word. So although these seven are not called deacons, what they do are deacon things. And here we see that word deacon. The apostles had a, a, a service that they were supposed to do. They were supposed to serve by focusing on the Word of God. 
Now notice in verse one that all of this was happening. Do you see that in your Bibles? It was happening when the disciples were increasing in number. The church was growing. They were experiencing some growing pains. And many of you have been with our church for the last 10 or 11 years. You remember the, when we used to gather in Keith and Sylvia Jerry's home or a conference room at the Marriott Hotel at the Four Tenants Steels and then Gage School and then moving here and at different stages when we grew from like, you know, two people, Lindsay and I, to like six people, and then 30 people, and then 300 people, and then 800. Along the way, there have been different growing pains. There have been different people who felt hurt or let down. There have been different people who seem to wander away or fall through the cracks, and that is to be under, that happened in the, in the early church as well, that sometimes disputes and misunderstandings can take place. Now this, now, this misunderstanding, this conflict happened between two groups of people, the Hellenists and the Hebrews. Uh, the Hellenists and the Hebrews, they were both Jewish, but the Hellenists were people who identified primarily with Roman culture. When Greek people talked about the homeland, they didn't call it Greece, they called it Hella. To be a Hellenist is to be someone who's associated with Greece. And even though the, the Romans were in charge, the, the predominant culture that was being spread throughout the Roman Empire was Greek culture. And the Hellenists, remember, that when, when, the, when the church was established in Acts chapter 2, it was happening during a religious festival, during the feast of Pentecost. And these, these people were gathered all throughout the Roman world. And so, and remember that when the Holy Spirit came, they were speaking in all these different languages. And the, the people who were there for this festival were going crazy. Their mind were being blown because they could hear God being praised in their own language. And so in the early church, there was a massive language barrier. Some of you right now, even attending a church like Hope Mississauga, that I'm speaking in English and I'm speaking ridiculously fast. I don't know why I tend to do that when I'm excited, but... Some of you are overcoming a language barrier. I'm in a, I'm in a small group where I'm regularly, regularly overcoming a language barrier to be able to relate to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that's ex exactly what so many of us are experiencing right now is what the early church was like every day. And there was this misunderstanding because there was a language barrier. There's also cultural barriers. The people described here as Hebrews, they, they lived in Judea and Galilee. And so they were religiously Jewish, ethnically Jewish, and culturally Jewish in every way. But the Hellenists, you know, they, they lived abroad. They, they, they lived in other cities. They knew about other ways of life and other cultures. And so not only was there a language barrier, but there was also a cultural barrier between them. And the Hellenists were looking at the way their widows were being treated, which was the poorest of the poor among the group. And they were, what, what they were seeing is they were seeing what they understood to be privilege. And they, they thought that their widows were not being looked after the way that the people who came from a different background were being treated. And rather than going off and doing their own thing, they raise it up in the church. It says that there was a complaint. They talked about it. This is what we do as Christians. We talk about it when things aren't going right. And so they come together and notice how the apostles, as a model of good leadership that the elders need to follow, see the apostles went off and planted other churches and so they didn't establish more apostles, they established elders to lead those churches. And what the apostles do here is really instructive for us. The apostles get the whole church together. 
And they say, here's how we're going to solve this together. Choose seven leaders who will be able to serve in this way. Now, some people look at this and they say, well, serving tables. So that means that deacons, they're just supposed to do just practical, mundane things. And the elders, they're supposed to be doing stuff like, 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 like the spiritual stuff. The deacons are focused on the here and now on earth, and the elders are supposed to be focused on heaven and eternity. Listen, that's, that's, a, that's a way oversimplification of what's actually happening here. I mean, look at the, look at the qualifications they, they lay out. They say, we're looking for people, in verse, in verse 3, who are of good repute, full of the Spirit, and wisdom. I mean, if it was just as simple as like passing out the macaroni and cheese, they didn't have to be a great spiritual leader. But no, they're holding up a high bar here. You got people like Stephen, who in the next couple of chapters are going to give this incredible overview of the entire Old Testament and stand up to his faith for the purpose of being martyred. Then you got people like Philip, who are being used by God as an evangelist to reach out to people. So it's not just, well, just get some people to clean up the dishes. No, these, this is a group of special leaders, again, they aren't deacons, but they do what deacons are called to do. And what are elders called to do? We, we have a clear job description of them. The, the, what the apostles were doing and the elders were doing is the same. They're supposed to lead, feed, and protect. Lead, feed, and protect. So how did the deacon, or how did the seven here, help the apostles lead. Well, they were trying to lead them to follow what Jesus said. Jesus said, by this all, will, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The apostles were trying to lead the church to care about one another, to make sure that no one felt left behind or left out. The, they were trying to lead in that way, but they were having a hard time with the organization of it. And so these seven come along and help the apostles lead the church. How about feeding? Remember, Christians don't feed on grass. Christians feed on the Word of God. Well, the apostles say right here, well, if taking so much time trying to go through the checklist to make sure every widow got their delivery, so if we get someone else to do that, then, then Acts 6-4, we can devote ourselves to the Word and to prayer. And how did that work out? Look at verse 7. When they focused on feeding, it says, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Think about this, the priests. The priests at the temple in old Jerusalem. The priests who believed that you needed to have a sacrifice on a regular basis in order to even hope that your sins could be forgiven. The priests that knew the Bible inside and out, knew the Old Testament. Now, if, if you are going to see the priests come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you're going to see that group of people who their whole livelihood and their whole way of thinking is about multiple sacrifices, if they are going to buy in and believe that Jesus made a sacrifice for our sins once and for all, you better bet that if that's going to happen, you're going to have to spend a lot of time on your knees praying for God's help and a lot of time in your Bible studying, right? Because the, the, they're not going to change their mind that easily. And by the way, you're going to have to have some convincing arguments from the Bible in order to explain to them what, who Jesus is and what he has done. And these seven come along, 
They, the apostles pass, so here's the checklist, and here's, here's the instructions, here's the standard operating procedures for how to distribute to the widows, and then the apostles go and spend more time on their knees and more time spending the Bible, and then we see priests coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So the seven helped with the feeding of the sheep as well, and then they also helped protect they help protect the, the, protect the flock from falling apart into division. And rather than the Hellenists and the Hebrews getting further apart, maybe starting their own churches, no, the, the seven were used to keep the church together to protect it from disunity. And so in the same way, just the way the seven helped the apostles lead, feed, and protect, deacons are supposed to help elders lead, feed, and protect. Deacons are supposed to come alongside as the elders are trying to lead the church and loving one another and loving their neighbor and making disciples. Deacons are supposed to come along and support that. Deacons are supposed to come along and help so that elders can focus on studying and preparing God's Word to feed to the people. There were many people in our church who spent hours serving in multiple different ways, many too many for me to mention so that I could spend time on my knees and with my face in the Bible to get this very message ready. This is what deaconing is about. And then protection. Deacons protect the church. You see, the church life, leadership life, it's bumpy. There are changes. There are transitions. People can get overlooked. And the role of the deacons is to support the elders and the church to get through those difficult circumstances. So that's the case study. And then look with me. Well, how do we know, though, that, de- that we're all just not deacons? Like, does it matter that he picked seven, or, or does it matter that the apostles uh, picked seven? Could, could they have picked 700? I mean, what is, the, what is the difference? Why do you think there's this identified group? And I, I used to ask that question as well. I, I, I couldn't I couldn't reconcile the fact that we're all supposed to be deacons, but yet somehow there's this special group of deacons. It didn't make sense to me. And then as I started talking to other believers and started learning from other church leaders in this church and outside this church, I started to notice things. Like look at the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. We spent a significant amount of time studying this book in the spring in a series called Joy Inside. Philippians 1 verse 1 says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. He's talking to the whole church. He says, hello, hey saints. He's talking to all the Christians. Hey, all the Christians at Philippi. And then he breaks it down. He says, to the overseers, the elders, the pastors. And then he says, and the deacons. If, see, we're not all deacons because we're all, we're all saints. He wouldn't say to all the saints and the overseers and the saints, because he already said saints. He, 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 he already addressed the whole group, but then he speaks specifically to two groups of leaders, the elders, the overseers, and, and the deacons. So, and then turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 is where we see this, this pass, or we see this role set apart, made clear that just like Philippians 1, you've got elders and you should also have deacons leading the church. So this leads us to our third point, which is qualifications for deacons. So look at verse 2 with me. It says, therefore, an overseer must be above 
reproach, the overseer, that's the elder, the pastor, that's the, sort of the first level of leadership. Now look down at verse 8. It says, deacons likewise. Likewise. Likewise to what? Likewise to elders. Just like the elders are in office, just like there's an official leadership position known as elders, deacons likewise have an official office and have qualifications just like elders do. And this is the passage that Karen read to us earlier, so I don't, we don't need to, to have it read in depth, but you'll notice that when Karen was reading it, a lot of the qualifications for deacons are the same as elders. You've got, you've got the, they, they, they got to be dignified, which is another word for, uh, for being above reproach, for being respectable, not double-tongued, not, not, they, they can't be given to alcoholism, they can't be greedy, they need to be respectable people who set an example for the rest of the church. In verse 10, it says that they're supposed to be tested first and then let them serve as deacons. You've got to have some sort of process. In Acts 6, they had a nomination process. Hey, church, let us know the seven people that you think should do this. There was a sense of testing, a sense of evaluation in that a case study. Then in verse 11, it says their wives likewise must be dignified. Now, that seems a little bit random, this, this comment about deacons' wives. It seems a little bit random because he went through this whole description about elders and never said anything about elders' wives. This is like elders' wives can behave however they want, but deacons' wives are going to be held to a, to a specific standard. That doesn't make sense. And so whenever we come across in the Bible something that doesn't make sense, we need to take a closer, a closer look. And so, uh, there's a footnote in my Bible in the ESV, like any good English translation will have whenever there's sort of a challenge or difficulty in, in interpreting a passage or translating it. If you look at the footnote, you'll see that, that the word there has been added by the translators, and that word wives can also be translated women. There was, there was, no, there was only one word for wife and for woman in, uh, in, uh, in Greek. So, to be a wife is to be a woman. It was, it was one in the same. And so, another way to read verse 11 is women likewise. And also, remember that the word likewise is there. Likewise is kind of creating a chain. He talked about elders, then he said deacons likewise. Now he says women likewise. He's not talking about deacons' wives here. And there are other... There are, Christians who we love and respect, who, who would think that this is a specific instruction for deacons' wives, but I think the most clearest reading of this passage indicates that what he's saying is that there are women who can serve as deacons. You see, I mentioned earlier that the qualifications for deacons and elders are basically the same, except one thing. The, the qualifications for elders is that they must be able to teach, but for deacons, there's no requirement for being able to teach. And so, and so and in line with what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, where women are not permitted to teach or to have authority over a man, that it would make sense that women would be free to serve as deacons in this significant spiritual leadership role because it doesn't include teaching. Now, if some of that isn't sitting right with you right now, that's totally fine. You might have missed the message last week. I'd love to talk to you about it afterwards in terms of how men and women are completely equal in God's eyes but play different roles. I'd love to, I'd love to discuss that with you further. But we see here that women are being included in terms of candidates for being a deacon. We also see in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, where Paul says, I commend to you your sister Phoebe, 
a servant of the church at Sencria. So here we have a sister. Her name is Phoebe. She's clearly a female, and yet she is called a servant. And there's a footnote in my Bible and a footnote in every good English translation indicating that that word servant is, you guessed it, deacon. She is a deacon, and not just a general deacon. She's a, she's, she represents a particular church. And so, some believe that she was actually one of the people that was entrusted with the responsibility of delivering the letters back and forth. So, we, we see here that there is this, these qualifications for deacons. Men and women are able, to, uh, are able to serve in these roles, and the qualifications are very similar to that of an elder, apart from the responsibility of teaching. Now, look with me at verse 13. It says, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So let's talk about application now. Let's talk about application. What does this actually mean for us? We know all of us are supposed to serve, so all of us technically are kind of like deacons, but there is supposed to be in every church a, a, the understanding of a, a, of a group of people who are recognized as leaders in this capacity as deacons. But here, here's the tricky things in terms of application. There's no job description. I mean, we talked about membership, and we talked about here's the qualifications for membership. You've got to believe, and you've got to be baptized. That's Acts 2.41. And then the job description is Acts 2.42 to 47, devoted to the apostles' teaching and sharing and generosity and all that sort of stuff. The, the job description is clear. With elders, the job description is clear. It's right there in the qualification. They've got to be able to teach. So teaching is part of what they're supposed to do. And fighting against false teaching, that's in, that's in the book of Titus. They've got to rebuke those who contradict the Word of God. The job description for elders is crystal clear. But the job description for, te- for deacons is nowhere. And that's what makes it a little bit tricky. And because different churches at different times have different needs. So going back to the case study in Acts 6 in the city of Jerusalem, in that church... It's a multicultural church. You've got Hellenists and you've got Hebrews. And so you've got a need to smooth things over between those two groups. And the best way to do that was through having a food distribution. But what if you have a church that's not multi-ethnic? Our church is very multi-ethnic, so it doesn't apply to us. But what if you had a church that was just, people were all from the same culture, all spoke the same language. What if you had a church where you didn't have a, a whole lot of poor people and the need for a daily, there was a daily distribution of benevolent food service going out to the poor people in the church. Well, what if the church is in Beverly Hills among a community of very wealthy people? You see, there isn't like a carbon copy, one-size-fits-all approach for deacons. Some churches say, well, you've got to have a deacon of facilities. Well, our church didn't have a facility for 10 years. I mean, it would have been great. We'll sign up, hey, I'm the deacon of facilities. I'm just going to be here and put my feet up right now because there is no, like, you can't just say that deacons need to be responsible for this or that or the other thing. You see, the need for deacons is, transcends all cultures. Churches need deacons. But how those deacons serve will change according to culture, will change according to church, will change according to what's happening in the life of that church. It's interesting, even in the early days, like in Acts chapter 14, when they're planting churches, they, they appoint elders but not deacons. And same thing with Titus on the island of Crete. He was told to appoint elders but not deacons. But chances are, it's because those churches were so small that they didn't need, they were already deaconing one another just fine. There was no one falling through the cracks. 
because there, there was, it was such a close-knit, small community. But then in Acts 6, it was when the disciples were increasing in number that they needed to appoint those seven to serve in that way. So what does this mean for our church? Well, listen, in our church, really the aim of this series is for us all to get on the same page and start to head in the same direction together as a church family. We talked about membership, and we talked about how we want everyone to, to, to think about, what do, you, do I belong to this church? Am I a member of this church? And we talked about, well, we... You need to, you need to have a, we need to have a clarifying conversation. We need to have a class. We need to make a commitment in order to make that official. There's a whole bunch of people in this church who are already doing everything that a member is supposed to do, except they've just never been to the class or had the conversation or signed the commitment. And so what we're saying is, listen, you're already doing the membership thing. Why don't we just make this official? In the same way, there's all kinds of people in our church who are already doing the work of deacon. They're already men or women who are already supporting the elders and helping lead, feed, and protect the church. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to start a process to actually make it official, to actually recognize these people as deacons in our church. And just like the apostles in Acts chapter 6, we want to include the whole church family. We want to hear from you. What areas of responsibility do you think we should have deacons leading? Where, what, what is our issue? What is the Hellenist and the Hebrew controversy in our church? Where do we need some servants to stand in the gap to help our church family be well-fed and well-protected and well-led? So we want the whole church to be involved in that a conversation, and we look, we look forward to seeing a deacons established in an official a capacity moving forward. Verse 13 says, those who serve as deacons, or those who deacon as deacons, gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Paul brings it all into focus, that Jesus needs to be our focus. In the same way with elders, if the elders are going to lead well, they got to have their eyes on Jesus, who's the ultimate pastor, who's the ultimate overseer. If the congregation is going to follow the lead of the elders, they need to remember that they're ultimately following Jesus. In the same way, if deacons are going to serve well, and if we are going to deacon well, all of us, because we're all called to deacon, we have to have our eyes on Jesus. And so let me read to you one of my favorite verses that I didn't know had the word deacon in it until this week as I, as I was studying. One of my favorite verses, and this is what it's about. We want to be able to spread this message, Mark 10, 45. Jesus, talking about himself, says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, came not to be deaconed, but to serve, but to deacon, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We serve as, as we look to the example of Jesus, the ultimate servant, the ultimate deacon. He is the one who gave his life as a ransom for many. So let's bow our heads together and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who set out the ultimate model of what serving is to look like by suffering and dying for us on the cross, for the way that he cared for the poor, by the way he was patient and tender with the weak. Lord, I pray that you would help our church as we move towards taking steps to establishing formal deacons in our uh, church family. We pray that just as those apostles were led in establishing the seven, Lord, that you would lead us, God, 
and putting uh, men and women in place and already recognizing the men and women who are in place, who are serving in significant ways. Lord, we love you and thank you. God, we thank you that we have the privilege of witnessing a baptism right now, Lord. Thank you for the, this joy and privilege of being able to celebrate. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.